Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late. I was talking to Robert Kraft. That isn't the time for an airing of grievances. Pro football talk. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The NFL is the focus of the entire world, a world that has gone completely daft in regard to the way it talks about things tangential to this league. Man, oh man. So he is here as always on the score hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois. You can follow him at Pro Football Talk and he's on twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 to score. Hey, Mike. Hey, I... I noticed that the open got tweaked a little bit. It kind of threw me off. I'm a creature of habit. I'm used to my rhythm and my routine. All of a sudden, there were different words. There were different quotes. I th- I think that we had a little uh, Frank Costanza in there. I like that. Our production team is all about making the fresh sounds that our guests feel welcome. And you're always welcome here, sir. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you as always. And it's it's an exciting time for the National Football League as we get closer and closer to the Super Bowl, even though it's all rigged and we all know the Chiefs are going to win because the NFL wants the Chiefs to win. So Taylor Swift can advance the PSYOP that will deliver the White House to the Democrats or some crap like that. You're on it. You are right on it. While she's also angering people for using her private plane because of the carbon footprint, and then they're not quite sure why they're supposed to be mad about the carbon footprint (laughs) because that gets back to man-made climate change, and then everybody's head explodes. So that's it's hard to clean up a carbon footprint when it gets on your rug. That's what. That's all I know. It's fifty degrees outside this week, so you might be onto something, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Why did Ben Johnson not want the head coaching jobs that were still available? Well, that's a great question. Last year when he pulled his name out, the thought was he knew he wasn't getting any of the jobs. So let's go ahead and make it look like I'm the one stepping aside. This year, it's a little more confusing. And I'm fascinated by the ability. And I I want to preface this by saying there was once a time Adam Schefter and I were friends. We currently aren't. I'm just amazed that he can get away with stuff that others can't get away with. And I'm not saying he's going to get away with this. I'm pointing it out currently. Throwing out there the idea that Ben Johnson's asking price spooked teams with no further information, with no further context, with no opportunity for Johnson or his agent to respond to this suggestion seems irresponsible to me. And I would get dragged if I did it. But you put this out there to 10.7 million followers on X and it's treated as gospel. Ben Johnson's unreasonable. Ben Johnson's unrealistic. Ben Johnson's too big for his britches. I want to know more about this. What was the number? Is it reasonable to be spooked by the amount that Ben Johnson supposedly wanted? Is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20 million? I don't know. And is it true? Or is it just face-saving by the commanders who had been linked so closely to Ben Johnson. He says, no, it still smells like Dan Snyder in here, or words to that effect, stays in Detroit, and now they make it about him, not about them. So that one tweet has a lot of curiosity that it sparks, and I feel like it's not something that you put out there without more, and at a minimum, without 
giving Johnson a chance to refute it, explain it, comment on it, confirm it, whatever. At what point does it get into tortious interference? Well, I don't know that it quite goes that far, but what it does, what it does is it feeds the narrative through which people will perceive Ben Johnson all year long and into next year. So he was hot candidate presumed to be destined to have a job this cycle. Now he goes back into the mix with everyone else. What if the Lions fall off this year? What if Bobby Sloweth becomes the guy for 2025? because the Texans get better. C.J. Stroud improves on a great rookie season. And you've still got Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel hanging around. What if Johnson begins to sink, fueled by what could be, could be, we don't know, an unfair perception that he wants too much? I'm just uncomfortable with all of it. And I just think it's not proper. Not that I have any journalism training, but I've been doing it for 20 plus years now. And I've learned through trial and error, more error than trial, how to properly do this job. There are just certain third rails that you want to be careful about jumping on without giving people a chance to chime in. And putting something like that on a guy, I think is unfair without giving him a chance to respond to it. But that's my point is if it results in what tortious, tortious interference results in, then how is it not that? I think that it's a high bar to prove that there was some sort of deliberate attempt to interfere with future business possibilities. And let's face it, there's still a chance for Ben Johnson and his agent to try to put out there something else. Who back is his agent, December, Mike? Who, who Do you know who represents Rich, him? Richmond Flowers is his agent. Okay. And back in December, Josina Anderson had a more vague and incomplete version of what ultimately was put out there yesterday. Flowers jumped on it and said it was false. He hasn't said anything about what Schefter said yesterday. And I've tried to contact him via X because he follows our accounts so you can message him. I've tried to get him that way. He hasn't responded to me. I'm trying to give the guy the chance to do what, based upon Schefter's tweet, he didn't get a chance to do. Correct the record, confirm it, deny it, clarify it, whatever. But yeah, I, I so I think there's an obligation here at some point for Ben Johnson's agent to chime in, even if Schefter should have given him a chance to proactively i feel like when i'm listening to you like there's a real concern about the messaging that comes from those who are powerful you're now admittedly you're one of those voices inside of the the nfl sphere of influence but i i share some of that with you like we were talking about it today like maybe he did say maybe his price was ridiculous for your job you know for for the washington job maybe it wouldn't be for a job that he actually wanted and, and there's a lot of layers to this where it, I, I love Adam Schefter and I think that he serves a valuable purpose, but we've seen a lot of people, and he's not the only one, that have been doing like one source reporting that sometimes looks like it's doing the bidding of a team or an agent or whomever. Exactly. And that's what Schefter does. And I think the audience has evolved to the point where most people understand that there is a quid pro quo that is a continuous treadmill of information exchange and from time to time, the reporter holding his nose and carrying the water so that he'll be the one to break the commander's coaching hire. And I fully expect he'll be the one to break the commander's coaching hire in exchange for putting it out there. And sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's implied. I'll give you a quick story. Once upon a time, 
there was an angle I continued to push that made one specific team uncomfortable. An executive high level from that team contacted me and said, can you just stop saying this thing that you're saying? If you do, I'll give you our next big scoop. And I thanked him for confirming my own suspicions about how the sausage gets made. I don't play that game and I suffer from it because I don't get to tell the world five minutes before the team announces it, what they're going to do. And you pay attention. That's what Schefter does 99% of the time. He tells us what's going to be announced five minutes later. And some people say there's value in that. Fine. But that's what he does. And you have to get yourself in position to get that five minute heads up. And if they're happy with you, they're going to give you the five minute heads up. Is there anyone that's concerned now that the ESPN has gone full go on on their betting service about what some of the relationships with their insiders could be and, and, and the danger that the, of the mixing of all of that stuff could be? I get the impression that whatever level of concern there is from the league, from ESPN, from anyone connected to any of this is, whatever level it is, it's not nearly enough. I don't get the impression the league fully appreciates all the ways that gambling can undermine the integrity of the game or the perception of the integrity of the game. And I think that ESPN is way too early in this full bore in bed with gambling. Everywhere you go, you see the ESPN bet billboards. I do here in West Virginia, the ads are everywhere. It's inextricably linked bet, 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 bet. And yes, there are certain wagers that are based not on what happens during a game. They're based on information that people have that become action, whether it's who gets drafted where, which quarterback signs with which team, which coach goes to which team. And that information can be used to the advantage of the person who has it. There's monetary value. And I just don't believe that people fully appreciate the risks associated with how that information could get misused for wagering purposes. Mike, what are we learning now about what the NFL in and it's possible they did some really awful things in promises that were made regarding the head injury settlement and allowing players to die on their watch. And now we're we're getting some of the testimony that has come out here. How bad is this? Well, the NFL is trying to strike a very delicate balance in the remaining litigation that traces back to the concussion settlement, which was first negotiated August of 2013. It was finalized years later. Players still today trying to get their share, rightfully so, of what they're qualified to receive. But the NFL is trying to get insurance money to pay for a substantial part, if not all, of that exposure the NFL eventually had. So to get the coverage, the NFL has to say, yeah, hey, look, football causes long-term brain trauma. And then on the other hand, you, you don't want to kill your sport by telling the world too loudly football causes long-term permanent brain trauma. And at the center of that is the commissioner who was who inclined when pressed on this issue in July of 2022 in a deposition in this insurance coverage case to downplay it. Then Jeff Pash, the general counsel, comes in and, and tries to it. clean it up. And that's the problem. The NFL still has the potential for an existential threat to the game if it's too candid about the risks of head trauma. But the NFL would like to pick up a billion or so from its insurance companies for the money that it had to pay out. So it's a tough spot for the NFL. And the best move would be 
settle it and move on because the longer you try to strike that balance, the greater the chance you're going to fall off the wire. I'm glad you said what you said. I'm glad you phrased it specifically by saying football causes brain damage, not concussions, because that's been part of this delicate, exquisite dodge, blaming the issues on concussions, when in fact, the science says it's the accumulation of the subconcussive hits that's far more dangerous. Absolutely. And, you know, they focus on all the things they're doing to make the game safer. It is still inherently risky. And even if you have the best helmet that money could ever buy and invent and devise, you still have guys who are moving full speed in one direction are suddenly stopped and their brand bounces off the inside of their skull. It doesn't matter what's on the outside of it. It still happens on the inside. So it's something they're never going to get away from. They've been fortunate that you don't have a mass migration of highly talented players away from football, but that's, I think, the last frontier in court for them to have to worry about this. They want their money from the insurance companies, and don't get me started on what insurance companies do to not pay out claims. They, they'll take your money in. They don't want to pay the money out. But the other side of it is you have to admit, if you're the NFL, that football is a problem, and they don't want to admit that, even to this day. 30 years after the creation of the Mild Traumatic Brain Injury Committee for the sole purpose of downplaying and delaying the reckoning, they still don't want to admit what we all know. On behalf of those of us with health insurance, keep speaking, Mike. I also want to ask you about the residual Bill Belichick discussion, especially when it's a lot of the time coming from teams who don't have head coach openings. What do you make of this? You know, I... I'd like to say I'm stunned by Jerry Jones speaking so candidly yesterday about potentially hiring Bill Belichick in the future, but there is nothing Jerry Jones can say at this point in his life that will stun me, especially as he gets deeper into his 80s and any remaining filter that he ever had disappears through the workings of biology on the human brain mouth connection. So he goes on and on yesterday about how great Belichick is, one of the great coaches of all time, and he'd have no qualms about working with him while he's got a coach. And we're just two weeks removed from widespread speculation that that coach was going to get thrown overboard for Bill Belichick. It's astounding to me. You couple that with, and it's not really reporting. It was rumor mill at the Senior Bowl that Greg Bedard of Boston Sports Journal shared with a radio station in Boston, 98.5, the sports buzz. And, you know, this idea that the Eagles were eyeballing Belichick if things went sideways with Nick Sirianni. So now if Belichick doesn't get a job this cycle, you've got the Cowboys, you've got the Eagles. You've got possibly the Giants because he won a couple of Super Bowls as their defensive coordinator and things there aren't going great. If I'm the commanders and I just got, I don't want to say left at the altar by Ben Johnson because, again, we don't know what happened. But if I'm not getting the guy that everybody thought was my first choice, at what point do I say, well, the only way to keep from having to deal with Belichick in the future is to just bite the bullet and hire him now? Hmm. That's an interesting thing to think on. Um, Mike, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thanks. Have a great week.